HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com slash better to learn more. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, September 21st, 2022, and we're back at our studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn, in the backyard of Roberta's. This is our 333rd episode of the series, which has a really nice ring, 333, good good number there. And this show is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an industry veteran who co-owns a very cool Miami Vice-inspired bar on New York City's Lower East Side, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to take your work seriously, but yourself less so. This notion actually comes from my guest today, who applies it to serving serious cocktails and food while keeping his attitude and the vibe at his establishment more chill and simply not taking himself so seriously. It's important to work hard and put our best foot forward always, but perhaps not stress so much about it, as life is short and we need to enjoy it. Certainly, this is easier said than done, but worth remembering and seriously attempting. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm excited to have my guest joining me. It is Matt Freelander. He is an industry veteran and co-owner of Sally Can Wait, a tropical-themed bar and restaurant on Manhattan's Lower East Side, offering craft cocktails and elevated comfort food in a fun and casual Miami-esque setting. Matt, along with his business partner, Zach Snyder, have over 45 years of New York City hospitality experience. Matt hails from Miami and has been a managing operator for establishments including Fool's Gold, Sweetwater Social, and Grand Banks, where he led the team to its most successful season ever. Without further ado, hi Matt. Welcome hi, to the show. Hi Sherry, how are you? Good to be here. <laughs> I'm good. I'm it's and it's great to have you. And you know, since I talked a bit last week about you coming on the show, I had mentioned that um, Zach was going to be here too. So we'll just Zach is uh, in the middle of doing very very important things at the moment. Um, he uh, definitely sends his best wishes, and you know, wanted to be here. Um, just our daily lives as owner operators has caught up with us. <laughs> Absolutely. I miss him and I'm sorry he's here, but yeah. I have to tell our listeners that we have someone else here that is um, quite quite cute. Yeah, so Zach typically <laughs> fills the, the cute, fuzzy, hairy void uh, at Sally Can Wait. 
Um, so in lieu of him being here, we have the actual Sally, um, which is my dog. She's a seven-year-old Havanese and Pomeranian. Um, been on the show a couple of times, or been at the studio a couple of times. Um, absolutely loves walking into Roberta. She's a very big pizza fan. <laughs> well, I adore her. This is my first time meeting her, and she is just precious. And, and very well-behaved, as we can, so as well we can hear. So well-behaved, and this is, this is such a special guest to have joining us today. So welcome, Sally. Hi, Sally. <laughs> Tails wagon. All right, can you sit? Good girl. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for coming. And for people, I just wanted to um, let people know, too, that I've been working with you yes. on your PR. Yeah. So full disclosure. Yeah. Don't want to, don't want to, you know, <laughs> lead anyone on. And but um, and it's been such a pleasure. So uh, let's let's go back a bit. I always start with my guests to find out how they got into the industry. Mm. So you want to take us back. And we also, we have a Miami connection. We do. Um, I, I grew up in Miami. Um, we went to the same high school, actually. Uh, go Panthers. Go Panthers. Palmetto Senior High. Which is so fun that we figured that out. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> very, very, very interesting turn of events. Um, when I was a, a teenager, I worked summers, uh, you know, from my dad's office. And I also did, uh, I had a job at a, a record store in South Miami. Um, but I wound up getting a job as a busboy. Um, at the Johnny Rockets at the Falls. Oh yeah, um, Friday night at the Falls. Friday night at the Falls. Sorry, that's just no, what it's, I think of immediately. It was a thing. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it hopefully still is, um, but it was right next to the movie theater. Um, I, I remember the summer that uh, Independence Day came out was an incredibly weird and traumatizing summer for the Johnny Rockets staff. Um, but I started working there um, and eventually got promoted to uh, to being a, a waiter. Um, and then when I graduated high school, the director of operations of, I guess, all the Johnny Rockets in Miami said, you're doing really great work here. You should stick around and become a manager for Johnny Rockets, um, which sounded like and I think maybe still does sound like one of the worst ideas for an 18 year old. And then, uh, so I said, no, I'm, I'm going to go to college. So I moved to New York, uh, went to NYU. And uh, while I was at school, I started a band which did okay. Um, we weren't fantastic. Uh, definitely wasn't the sort of level where we could pay all of our bills just making music, but we did well enough where things were coming together. But I still needed a way to make money in between recording and touring. So I started working in restaurants again because it was sort of the only real-world job experience that I had. Um, and I got two jobs after college, um, both places that were far beyond uh, my experience level, and I still don't understand why uh, I was hired at either of them. But uh, I got uh, two jobs waiting tables. One of them was at Le Cole, which was the restaurant for the French Culinary Institute. Oh, right. I remember that. Yeah, um, which was really, really cool in retrospect. Mm -hmm. Back when I was 22 years old, I could not have cared less about all the amazing people that I was in very close proximity to. I mean, I was walking past Alain Sayak every day yeah and uh and Jacques Torres and Jacques Pepin were always around and uh, Andre Soltner was always around and it was just a really really cool environment that as a 22 year old kid who was in a rock and roll band I could not have cared less about and kind of regret uh being so lackadaisical about it um and the other job was uh waiting tables at Blue Smoke which was uh, or is Danny Meyer's barbecue restaurant and um I eventually left those jobs because the band started to get a little busier and it would become sort of this cycle where we would go off for three to six months and do something that was taking up a lot of time. And then that sort of part of the project would come to a close and be, okay, I have to go find another restaurant job and blah, blah, blah. And it basically just kept going that way until 2008 when the band broke up. Um, and I realized that I'd sort of fallen in love with this industry um, in the interim and just kept sort of, as they say, working my way up um, and eventually got to the point where the next logical step seemed to be to open my own spot, um, which Zach and I decided to do together. And uh, we've been open almost, uh, it's almost a year now. It's coming up on 11 months. Yeah, well, that's that's awesome and to hear I didn't I didn't know those other places <laughs> you worked, but yeah. but you were, you 
we're more drawn, I'm saying, to the cocktail side versus the food side? Yeah. I uh, I mean, listen, I love to eat, and that's probably initially <laughs> what got me into the industry in general. Um, I, I definitely think that um, that my manager at Lake Hole, uh, a man named Christian Hauser, um, sort of turned me on to wine and food, and that was sort of where my interest lay when I was sort of younger. Um it got to a point, though, where um, the idea of being behind the bar, um, cocktails, of course, um, but just the idea of being behind the bar really started to stick out to me. Um, I was working at a, a restaurant, a very, very nice restaurant in the West Village that I was incredibly underqualified to work at. Um, and uh, it was, you know, he was going for Michelin stars, 100%. It was synchronized service. You had to clear the plates at the same time and reset the silverware at the same time. Um, and it was a very, very, very stringent, methodical, formal, formal level of service. Um, and it was, it was intimidating. Um, but I always noticed that one of the bartenders who worked there never really had to participate as much in that level of formality. He, he was able to roll his sleeves up. He had this really cool faux hawk sort of hairstyle um, and was always conversing with his guests and just seemed a little more natural to me and more along the lines of what I was looking for because at this point I was still in the band and this was always sort of a an afterthought for me with the restaurant industry. Um, and I asked him one night how come he didn't have to you know, approach guests with the same level of formality, and he just shrugged and went, well, I'm behind the bar. Um, <laughs> that was T.J. Lynch, uh, oh. who, yeah, who now okay. owns uh, Mother's Ruin and, uh, and Low Life um, down in South Carolina. Um, just a really cool-looking guy, uh, just in general. Um, yeah. And also just really, really fun and really, really uh, just had a great rapport with everybody that walked into that restaurant. Um, and so I started to just sort of, quite frankly, I made a list um, from talking to people of 20 of, you know, who I was told were the best bartenders in New York and just started going and hanging out at their bars and watching, um, and eventually got to a point where I was able to bar back, um, at a bar that I was working at, at a certain point, a bartender called in sick. I stepped in to fill the shift and the rest of it just sort of escalated from there. But, um, the idea of just working behind the bar and, you know, I mean, wine is a very, very beautiful thing, and I drink a ton of it, and I think it's absolutely incredible. But the idea of crafting something for someone to enjoy and also the one-on-one -on -one engagement that you get with a guest when you're working behind a bar, um, there's a different, I think, dynamic to that than one you get when you're serving tables. And it's something that uh, just really struck out to me, really felt uh, comfortable and, in a strange sense, familiar to me, um, just fit and... Uh, I decided I, I'm going to you know, pursue this avenue of the restaurant industry. I'm going to work behind bars. I'm going to start creating cocktails. And uh, had a lot of really, really great people give me advice and help me throughout the way. Um, I always go back to, to Christian Hauser and to Danny Meyer. They're definitely the, the first two that sort of, I think, served in a mentor capacity for me. But there have been dozens of people who have definitely helped whether they, you know, appreciate this or not, have helped shape the person that I am now in this industry, um, and it's it's been a great ride. I think I think they do, and I think you have yeah you have incredible experience, um, all different styles of restaurants, bars, and service. So, um, let me ask you my question for my last guest. So, sure. On episode 332, I had on John Meadow. He's the founder and president of LDV Hospitality, which is a boutique hosp hospitality group that was founded on the ambition to bring the dream of La Dolce Vita to everyday life. And his concepts include Scarpetta, American Cut, The Seville, and Dolce Italian. So he wants to know, with the level of detail between the name and the inspiration of Miami Vice and the location on the Lower East Side, three super distinct kind of elements there he'd love to hear you describe your journey of coming up with this super cool and specific concept and we are talking about the place that you have now sally can wait uh i'm worried that john meadow is going to be incredibly disappointed um <laughs> a, a, a lot of this came up through 
a complete accident. Um, the uh, the name uh, Sally Can Wait uh, is an interesting one. So Zach and I, um, you know, we're already courting investors um, and and looking at looking for spaces before we even knew what this place was going to be called. And again, for whatever reason, there were people who had come to restaurants and bars that Zach and I had managed and operated. And the second we said we're doing something together, they immediately were all just, we're in. Like, you know, who do we write the check to? Um, and we didn't have an answer for that. <laughs> um, so we eventually said, listen, we need to come up with a name for this bar. This is getting ridiculous. And uh, we, we went about it, I think, the same way that I probably went about uh, getting a name for my band. I made a list of 30 names. He made a list of 30 names. We got together at a, a bar in the East Village that a lot of industry heads hang out at. And it was a Monday night. And we said, OK, we have unlimited vetoes. What's your first choice? And two to three hours later, we had gone through all 60 names and had not agreed on anything. Um, at this point... Some of our industry friends who had shown up to the bar just to hang out on a Monday night had begun heckling us um, and suggesting their own very crude uh, names for a bar that Zach and I would open. I'd like to see this list. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 uh, I, I remember that my first choice was Oh Sweet Nothing, um, which I thought was a, a great name for a bar. Zach correctly pointed out that a lot of people would probably think it was just a dessert place. Um, which I hadn't thought of. Or something Southern. Or maybe it's the way you said it. Oh, sweet nothing. Oh, sweet nothing. Yeah. Um, and uh, Zach, I think I'm getting this right. Zach's first choice was Livingston Social Club. Uh, I'm, I think that's that's what he came up with. So I'll say it. Um, and, there were, and there were others. There were many others that were, in retrospect, very, very bad names for a bar. Um, but it had gotten late and we had been there for a while. This was back in 2017, um, and he mentioned that he had to get home, and I sort of responded, yeah, I have to get home, it's late, I need to walk Sally. And one of our friends said, ah, pff, Sally can wait. Um, and it was just a eureka moment where we looked at each other and went, that's the name of the bar. Like, that's, that's exactly what we're calling the bar. Um, and we didn't know why we liked it. I, I knew why I liked it. It was, you know, a reference to an Oasis lyric, which is where Sally's name came from. Um, but he came up with this great idea about the immersive quality of opening something like what we were trying to open up in Manhattan that had sort of a South Florida, Miami-esque kind of vibe to it, and how that would be in and of itself something that would be kind of immersive, um, there would be a departure from the streets of New York. Um, there would be this real, real well-curated vibe between the music and the lighting and the drinks and the food that would sort of feel like a bit of a, a departure or an escape from New York City. Um, and he said, Sally can wait and so can the rest of it. And it just sounded great. And uh, that's how we painstakingly came up with our name john uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> no it's a good it's a good story yeah. and i think a lot of i mean from talking to lots of people in the industry like a lot of the a lot of things happen just kind of by accident and even when you were saying with um back when you're talking about someone not showing up for work and you being able to jump behind the bar and that's kind of how it started for you yeah like that story i've heard with chefs so many times Absolutely. where someone just is not there and mm -hmm. what do you know next thing you're cooking or you're making drinks exactly 100 percent. So. it's a it's an industry that is full of happy accidents and very very strange timing i think and the timing when it works out leads you down a completely different path than you probably would have if this one thing hadn't gone right or this one thing hadn't gone wrong um it's a strange life in general um but the idea of you know, someone sleeping in 30 minutes, changing the trajectory of, you know, I mean, that turned me into a bar owner in, in a weird butterfly effect way. Yeah. 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 It's interesting how life, life unfolds. Yeah. So the concept and of, of Sally Can Wait and being this Miami-esque vibe and, and you have frozen drinks mm -hmm. and all this, was, when, when did that sort of, when did 
that come into your head? That came in before the name. Um, we, uh, Zach and I both worked uh, under the same sort of hospitality group umbrella that had a couple of places in New York. And he was managing one of their restaurants and I was managing a bar that they had. And uh, he would sort of come by uh, the bar after he would finish up at his restaurant and we would just drink and gripe as most 20-somethings do about the state of what we were doing and how it didn't make any sense. And, you know, if we were running things, this is how we would do it and blah, blah, blah. Um, And eventually those conversations just led to us saying we should just open our own place. Um, And uh, I want to clarify, we were 30-somethings, not 20-somethings. I just realized (laughs) I made that mistake. It wasn't that long ago. Um, All good. And uh, and he said, well, what kind of place would we we do? Like, what would it have? And I went, I don't know. It it would just be Zach and Matt open a bar. Um, (laughs) I know that we have to have Cuban sandwiches, and I know that we have to serve Miami Vice cocktails because – I held the very unpopular opinion that there weren't many good Cuban sandwiches in Manhattan at that time. Um, And the way that Zach and I sort of became friends was he made me a Miami Vice. Um, I met him uh, back in, God, I want to say 2014 or 2015 um, at a vodka launch event at a spot called Gold Bar, uh, which is a nightclub on Broom Street. And uh, he's a he's a very interesting looking dude, um, and uh, and also has a very very specific personality, um, particularly when he's had a couple of cocktails. And we we started talking and sort of realized that we played in the same sandbox. We were friends on Facebook because that's just sort of what happens in the industry, um, but had never actually met in person. And uh, a few weeks later, I was really craving a, a Miami Vice cocktail. And I'm, I mean the kind of cocktail that comes out of a seven-gallon jug of pre-made, you know, high-fructose corn syrup batch that is dyed red, and you put it into a blender with really crappy rum uh, and ice, and you spin that, and that's your daiquiri component. Um, just something very, very akin to what I used to drink um, when I was in my late teens and early 20s in the Florida Keys or in Miami. Yes. Um, it's just like, a, in respect, a really terrible cocktail, but so good if that's what you're looking for. Well, for people who don't know, which most people probably do, but it's a, a Miami Vice is a combo between a pina colada and a strawberry deck. Exactly. Yeah. Both frozen. Um, and just, yeah. And, it, you know, you create this sort of uh, spiral or split effect by pouring them both into a glass at the same time so that half your drink looks white and the other half looks red. Uh, but Zach mentioned that he was making Miami Vices um, at this bar that he was working at. So I went there. Um, he made me one. I maintain to this day that it's not just the best Miami Vice I've ever had. It's the best cocktail I've ever had. Um, Go Zach. It's, it was absolutely everything that I was looking for at that moment in time, but better. And I'd never tasted a well-crafted Miami Vice before because in my mind those just didn't exist. Um, And his whole thing was, you know, I just made everything from scratch. I made the pina colada mix from scratch. I made the strawberry daiquiri mix from scratch. I tasted it and adjusted the acidity to make sure that the acidity of the strawberry daiquiri would cut through the pina colada, but not too much. He had put a lot of thought into this drink that in my mind takes 15 seconds to make and you charge me seven bucks for it and it comes in a big plastic cup. Um, and that's just one of the ways that he approaches a lot of things. Um, he's, he's very, very, um, thoughtful and contemplative about anything that goes on the menu. Um, I've never seen anyone drive themselves more crazy over, uh, you know, a, a Reuben sandwich than, than Zack Snyder. Um, and it's good. It's it's really good, <laughs> and and that's the whole thing is you see it pay off when you when you take that bite, um, and and yeah, we just we knew we wanted to do Cuban sandwiches and Miami Vices, and that sort of thing kept building and sort of you know the snowball running down the hill of okay, well you know this component of adding like a New York thing to it or this component of adding a Miami thing to it, um, and just sort of taking from our. You know, shared backgrounds. He's a, a born and raised New Yorker, um, and just seeing what would happen. 
Um, I remember Googling Jewish Latin fusion to get ideas for our food menu and found that there was nothing out there that, that, uh, that followed that track. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of just sitting down and conceptualizing and, you know, throwing things up at, um, a lot of throwing spaghetti at the wall and just seeing what would stick. Um, but we eventually just settled on this. It's going to be this kind of vibe with the neon lit and the, the music, um, the food menu, frozen drinks year round, no matter what. Um, and it's just, uh, again, serving as this very somewhat immersive place to go and have a really, really great time while enjoying, you know, what we hope are really great drinks and really great food. It's really cool because I think you found you, you created something that you you know you think about New York City and has everything and I don't know how if it had this before you launched it. I I, I don't think it did. Yeah, um, I don't I don't either. Yeah, it's you're very, welcome, New York. Yeah, and so <laughs> so you opened November 2020. 2021. 2021. Yeah. Sorry. Um, how's it How's it been going? Because you're about you're about getting to a year, <laughs> mm-hmm. and we're still coming off a pandemic, yeah. and there was some variants along the way. Um, uh, the, the first month we were open was great. Um, it was, uh, you know, I mean, we, we've been talking about doing this for, for years. I think we bought the domain name Sally Can Wait in 2017. So to finally open those doors, um, it was November 15th, 2021. Um, and to see a, a line was the most exciting, most fulfilling, and scariest thing ever. Um, and as things often do, you know, we'd fallen behind with with doing the build out. And I mean, Zach was running around telling all of our friends that were coming in that night. Thanks so much for coming. Please don't lean against the walls. Um, the paint was literally still drying uh, in the bar. Um, but that first week was great. The first four weeks were absolutely fantastic. We were on this great upwards trajectory. Um, the neighborhood started to embrace us. People who come to the Lower East Side on the weekends were just walking by and being pulled in by the pink Sally Can Wait neon sign. Um, and then Omicron hit. And the streets just, uh, you know, the, they just dried up. Um, there was no one out. Um you know, everyone, every business, I think, took a really, really large hit, um, sort of like in that period of mid to late December of 2021. Um, and it hit us, it hit us particularly hard as well. Um, they did. Yeah. You weren't alone. Oh, I mean, yeah. I'm, it's, I, <laughs> listening to you, it's, I, my heart breaks. I'm like, ah, but it's, yeah, it hit everyone really hard. It was, uh, it was a really, really rough, um, a rough time, I think, from a perception standpoint, because we had just um, had the, I think it was the Delta variant over the summer, sort mm-hmm. of wreak havoc. And there was this general feeling in the industry, and I think all over the city and probably the country and the world, that, okay, that was the worst of it. You are, I mean, in, in, uh, in pandemics like this or diseases like this, you typically have your first wave. And then the second wave is the, the bigger one that sort of really, really does a number on everybody. And then things just tend to mellow out. Um, and we sort of went into the winter thinking, all right, well, we, we, we've pushed past it. Now we're, it's perfect timing because that period of late November through December is the busiest time of the year for most people in our industry. It's when everyone's booking their holiday get togethers and their office parties and new year's Eve is coming up and everyone's celebrating Christmas and Hanukkah and, and all these things are happening. And those last two weeks of December, it was just a a ghost town in New York um, because of how quickly um, Omicron spread and how contagious it was. Um, We got to the point where, you know, the business just wasn't there. And we, I mean, at that point, I think we had a a staff, not a huge staff, but a staff of around 10 people um, who were working. And it's right before Christmas, and it was a horrible decision to make, but we we had to furlough everybody, which we didn't know what that word meant until 2020. Um, And, uh, you know, we basically closed for the last two weeks of December. January, uh, we reopened, and basically it was Zach and I there um, every night of the week doing what we could. He was cooking, um, I was in the front of house, and we sort of held 
to that schedule until the middle of February um, when, I guess, Winter Fashion Week happened in New York. We booked this party um, for a fashion designer, and he said it would be about 60 people, and it wound up being closer to double that. Um, and we were able to start bringing the staff back gradually, um, you know, starting off with bringing bartenders in on the weekends um, and then eventually bringing, you know, servers back in on the weekends. Um, and it's gotten to the point now where we had a difficult summer, like a lot of businesses in New York um, do, especially if you haven't sort of been around long enough to cater to the, the influx of tourism uh, that comes into the city in the summer. Um, but we've uh, we've eked our way through it, and uh, it's fall now, and it's gorgeous out, and it's not too hot, and it seems like people are back in town. Um, very much looking forward to putting year one behind us and and moving forward. Uh, it was it was definitely the most challenging thing I think we've ever done, um, and probably will ever do. Um, but we learned a lot from it, and uh, you know we came out. Uh, you know, slightly stronger from it, a, a little beat up and, and, and tattered. But um, but overall, um, the fact that we, you know, that we have the opportunity to do this and to, you know, to have this place be open and to employ the staff that we do and to serve the things that we do and just to make our guests happy, um, it's worth it. It's, it's worth everything that we went through by a little bit. <laughs> wow. I, year, I, year two is coming and... Um, I certainly hope it's easier. Mm. And yeah, year one is challenging, I think, generally for, for businesses everybody. because you yeah. don't know what to expect or what your the pattern. Like you start to see patterns after a couple of years. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but cool. Uh, and your place is your place is awesome. So <laughs> oh, yeah, you should feel very proud. <laughs> and Sally, Sally is very proud. She's looking at you right now. It's she like, is. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> We like we, we we love your place, and that is named after her too. Okay, so um, let's take a little break. Sure. Uh, we will come back. We'll play my speed round. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience, and the final question. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever. Bento Box's website, marketing tools, and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money, and engage diners in person and virtually. And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience. With Bento Box and Clover working together, restaurants now have an all-in-one solution that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. That's getbento.com B-E-T-T-E-R. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Matt Freelander. He is the co-owner of Sally Can Wait, a Miami Vice-inspired bar and restaurant on Manhattan's Lower East Side. So, Matt, it's time for my speed round. Okay. <laughs> as, as with my tip to someone who maybe doesn't take themselves as seriously, but their cocktails and food very seriously, um, I think you're going to be really good at a game, the, right. a game, I'm, this game, my game. I'm fairly competitive at when it comes to these things, but I'm not sure. Okay, well, there's no, we'll there's, there's no right <laughs> or wrong, and um, you just, yeah, and everyone plays a little different. There so you go. I'm gonna name a couple things, and you got to pick your preference, such okay. as chocolate or vanilla. That's the, start with that one. Well, that's a sample. Some okay. people, I've had, I've had many people shout out their answer for that. But well, the you correct don't have answer to. is strawberry. Ah. <laughs> I'm trying to think that may be a first. Okay. <laughs> okay. Duh. Duh. Chocolate is the an correct answer oh, to that, even enough, though I there is no correct answer, but my answer. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Oh, eat out at a restaurant. 
indoor dining or alfresco dining? Uh, I'm probably going to piss some people off here. Uh, I'm going to say outdoor alfresco only because uh, it typically allows me to have Sally with me when, when I'm doing that. That's a good reason. Yeah. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Uh, cocktail, mocktail. Aha. Tasting menu or a la carte? Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, assuming that I'm, I'm not covering the tab, I would go tasting menu probably. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think there's something to be said about someone who's put the thought and time into curating something for you. Um, and they want you to taste things in this progression and they've, you know, that's what they do. And it's a nice showcase of who the chef is, um, and the restaurant that, uh, he or she is, uh, is representing. Um, and then you go back the next week and you order things a la carte. I like it. Yeah. How about small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Uh, um, hmm. That's, I'll, I'll go communal table on that one. My game is tougher than you thought it would be. It's huh? a little tougher. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I play a lot of these with, uh, with, with my fiance. Um, and, uh, and this is, this is on par with as tough as, as those, those okay. are. <laughs> well, we're about halfway. Oh, okay. This, this one always, this one always gets, gets people thinking or questioning stuff. Um, tipping or all inclusive charge? Tipping. Oh, okay. You got that one. No, no sweat. That, that's a whole other episode we could do. My, my thoughts on the uh, tipping versus gratuity included. Okay. How about strawberry daiquiri, pina colada, or Miami Vice? Miami Vice. Of course. Oh, okay, I'm giving you some easy ones. Um, Crockett or Tubbs? Oh, oh, screw you, Sherry. Uh, that's a tough one. Um, oh, is, it, is it? I mean, for, this, these are, this is... Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas, their yeah. characters on Miami Vice, the TV show, which yeah. I grew up on. We grew up on. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Tubbs, um, which is probably what everyone you know, everyone else probably goes with Crockett, but Tubbs was the he was the smooth one. He was the you know he was he was the Murtaugh to the rigs. Um, <laughs> he he had a little more sensibility, I want to say, and he didn't need to flash the fashion as much as Crockett did. Um, yeah, let's give Tubbs some love. Ah, I like it. <laughs> okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Oh, man. <laughs> That's probably the hardest one. <laughs> uh, um, shit. Cheese plate. Mm, that hurt. That really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That, that, that one's going to sting for a while. <laughs> My last one's Manhattan or Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to have to say Manhattan. Um, uh, I, I spend 99.9% of, uh, of my time there. Um, that being said, um, I, uh, I texted uh, Katie, my fiance. Uh, Congratulations. I, thank you. We're actually, we're getting married tomorrow, uh, Thursday. September 22nd. Are you really? Yeah, we're getting married tomorrow. Um, wow. Yeah, it's Who we knew? we have a lot of we have a thing about numbers and you know the 22nd in 2022 seemed right to us, which is kind of yeah. cool whether this is the 333rd I, episode. I um, mean, what a number. Yeah, and what a, yeah, you're I'm I'm so glad it fits with that you're a number guy. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely a number guy. Um, but I, I texted her and I, I said, I keep forgetting how much I love uh, Bushwick and especially Roberta's. Every time I come here, it's like, why haven't I could literally spend an entire day at this restaurant and be completely happy? Um, we don't come to Brooklyn as, as often as, as, I, as I'd like, um, but I think it's fantastic. But if I had to pick, I would have to go with Manhattan. I was like, I forgot even what the question. Okay, yes, no, I'm teasing, but I'm just. Well, we're gonna have to. I want some details after the show, yeah, and I'm of thinking, wow, you're here. You like, you should be getting like, like nails done. Or oh, something. I, I've got to. You know, I've got to go work the bar after the this manicure appointment. <laughs> um, well, amazing. Okay, that's awesome, and that's the game. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was fantastic. It, it was it was definitely difficult. Um, you made it. Cheese plate dessert. That that one's gonna bug me the rest of okay. the day. Okay, <laughs> I've had some both, even though that's that's kind of cheating. Yeah, but it's kind of cheating. I have had a, several. The thing about me is that I'm not a huge sweets person when it comes to things that I'm eating. Um, but if there's tiramisu on a menu, I have to have it. And there's a somewhat savory quality I find to tiramisu that just gets me. Um, it's a good dessert. It's you don't just, see it that much. I it's mean, just obviously, so in Italian perfect. restaurants. It's but. so perfect. And like, if if someone were to tell me that today is going to be your last day on Earth, I, I've got an entire transcontinental meal planned out in my head from breakfast to the end of the day. And the end of the day is just bring me a sheet pan of tiramisu and a root beer float. But before that, we're eating a lot of cheese. Okay. A lot. <laughs> to go with a Miami Vice, I'm assuming. It, it pairs very, very well. Miami Absolutely. Vices. Oh, it's definitely got to be in there. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so for industry news, I picked out an article that was in the New York Times, and it's entitled... This, in, in the city that never sleeps, some doors now close at 10 p.m. Is New York still a 24-hour town? This was by Dodal Stewart. Um, and there was also another piece in the New York Times that said, for New Yorkers, 6 p.m. is the new 8 p.m. Which So there was this theme kind of going on that New York is maybe perhaps not the, the – city that never sleeps 24-hour city anymore since the pandemic um and of course it's like it's an appropriate article i think to talk with you as someone who who has a bar and restaurant on the lower east side how much time do we have well we'll give it a couple minutes (laughs) um i i have i have a, a lot of thoughts on this um you know sally can wait um our our demographic during the weeknights is typically um people who are on first dates um there's there's a lot of bumbling and tindering happening uh at sally can wait monday through thursday um as there should be yeah pro tip if if you have swiped right with someone in match sally can wait's the spot to take them um <laughs> uh and we also i think just serve as kind of a makeshift waiting room for people who are waiting for a seat at attaboy um but um Not but bad. we've definitely noticed uh you know, we're, we're on the Lower East Side. Granted, we're, you know, maybe a little way south of that sort of big section of nightlife between Delancey and Houston. Um, but we're on the Lower East Side, which, you know, I lived on Orchard Street for the better part of 14 years. And that was just a street that even at 4 a.m. it didn't stop. Um, and it's it's definitely become a, a quieter neighborhood. I live in the East Village and, and walking home especially on weeknights, um, it's, 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 it's quiet. It's really, really quiet. Um, I think that a lot of this started um, in the fall and winter of 2020 when there was a curfew uh, instituted. That's the wrong word. There was a curfew put in place, um, and restaurants and bars basically had to uh, shut down, I want to say it was at 10 o'clock or at midnight, I think it was once 10 and then changed to 11. It's changed. Yeah. I mean, it's changed. And also, I think um, the subway, you mm-hmm. know, getting around transportation exactly. right. was challenging. There was, a, there, was, there was those two things. It was the curfew and, and, and the MTA not operating overnight because they had to mm-hmm. sanitize right, all the right, cars. Yeah. Um, and it shifted for a, a few months um, how New Yorkers went out for a night. Um, there was, you know, the old adage when I was in my twenties and part of my thirties, which was you start getting ready to go out at 10 o'clock. And so you get to where you're going around 11, 1130. And then by the time it's four o'clock in the morning, then you've got enough time to, and these two spots, I actually read this article were actually mentioned by the time the bars and the clubs close at four, then you can head over to Veselka or head down to Wohop and get your late night, you know, grub fix and then go home and sleep until, the following afternoon when you wake up and start your day all over again. Um, and perception shifted, I think, a lot during that time. And I think it may have carried over a little bit. I'm hoping that um, it's just the the tail end of a, of a trend. I, I like the idea of New York being an all-night town. Um, I, I can't participate in it as much anymore between work and just becoming old. Um, but you know, the idea that 
there are people out on the streets enjoying themselves, eating and drinking until the wee hours of the morning. That was one of the things that kept me in New York um, after I graduated college. It was one of the things that really struck me as the heartbeat of this city was its nightlife. Um, and, you know, not just when it comes to clubbing, um, but just late night eating, um, yeah. you know, restaurants and dining. And, and the fact that you could go and have something as varied as you could get pierogies at Veselko or you could get really great lo mein at Wohop. Or there were 24-hour places like uh, L'Express, the French Bistro Express, on Park cafeteria. Avenue. Cafeteria. These yeah. places that were just like actual sit-down restaurants and the service was good and the food was solid. And you could seriously ha- start having dinner at 4 o'clock in the morning and then finish up by the time the sun was getting ready to rise. Yeah, that's a really, really great thing about this city, and I've definitely noticed a departure in it. Um, I hope it comes back. Um, I think it is. I think it's going to. I think I. My take is I think it's. It is. Uh, I mean, having been here through the pandemic and just we've seen the changes. I mean, there was no one on the streets at one point, and now the streets. There's people. People exactly. are back. Tourists are back. Um, I live I live more uptown and it's quiet at night. I mean, sure. after ten o'clock, it is. It's not what it was. Um, and in this article that you mentioned, I mean, the places you mentioned, um, Wohop, which is downtown, and um, Selka, they're they're still they're closing at ten or eleven o'clock. They're not doing twenty four hours. Um, it did talk about Katz's has come back to being twenty four hours on the weekends. Right. Um, so. Uh, it's interesting. I, I mean, yeah, I think I think we're still I mean, as much as we want this thing to be over, we're still kind of in it. We and, are. And the article also cited, you know, um, reasons why. I mean, weary of drunken clientele about the safety of staff commuting, um, not having enough help um, also, which has been an issue. So, right. But. I mean, these were always issues, though. Yeah. These were issues before the pandemic. I mean, you had drunk people coming in to eat. Well, that one, yeah, <laughs> that one is kind of a part of it. But yeah. but also, I mean, I think I think safety and just the types of it's it's been safety is a big thing. There's been changes, you know, that noticeably that you've seen. But I think I think it's. I think a year from now, let's have this conversation and see where New York City is. And I think I think it's going to go back to being that twenty-four hour place because that's I hope like, so. I mean, Sinatra. I mean, like, come on, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, and 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 just and I mean, I, I also, you know, people get hungry at four or five o'clock in the morning, even if you haven't been yeah. out all night, and you know. I mean, a lot of places that that do deliver, you know, into those hours, they they don't have a direct way for you to contact them. And I'm personally not the biggest fan of um, third-party food delivery services. I like the idea of giving a restaurant or a bar 100% of the money that I'm spending there. Um, And, uh, you know... I mean, no one. I mean, no one moves to New York because of how efficient Seamless is. That's not why you're here. You're here to to eat at places and to, you know, and to enjoy, you know, the restaurants and the bars and the nightlife that these people have put together for you. Um, Yeah. So I I hope I hope it comes back. I really do. Well, I think it's going to, and also this other trend that's talking about people dining earlier, that I've noticed too. And it's also, I mean, I think, I don't, I don't know. I think that being in New York, you have so you have the options, you know, and it is, but it has become cooler, I guess, to eat at six o'clock versus eight o'clock. And people want it, you know, when I eat early, I mix it up. It's like, Nice to get home early, you sure, know. Sure, sure. But but I I don't know. I like I like changing things up. Absolutely, so. absolutely. <laughs> um, well, anyways, uh, that's the piece. Check it out. It's a long piece, um, but we I think we did a good job, kind of summing that up. Mm. Uh, but for my solo dining experience, I wanted to make a little announcement. Um, I'm go- excited. I'm going to be attending next Tuesday, September 27th the 13th annual Wellness in the Schools 2022 Gala. It's taking place at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And Wellness in the Schools is a national nonprofit that teaches kids healthy habits to learn and live better. It partners with public schools to provide nutrition and fitness education and 
healthy scratch cooked meals and and more. So this is their gala that they haven't had in three and a half years, it said, since the pandemic. Oh, wow. So um, I'm going to be there. And it has a really great lineup of chefs, including J.J. Johnson, Bill Telepan, Alex Gernichelli. It's a tasting event. If you want to go or find out more, go to their website, wellnessintheschools.org. They're also on Instagram at Wellness in the Schools, and it should be a really wonderful, fun event. I've actually never been to their gala before, so um, I've I've haven't been, but it sounds like an amazing time. Those three chefs that you mentioned are yeah. some of my favorites, so yeah, it's gonna be good eating. It's gonna be good eating, and it's for it's, it's for, for supporting yeah, for any wellness in the schools. Like it's a good cause, and um, so yeah. I know Bill Telepan in particular was or is very passionate about, um, you know, the school meal programs. And... He's been, I think he's been involved for a very long time. Yeah. 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 And yeah. he's a great chef and, and guy. Okay. So that's that. Now for my solo dining experience this week, um, it's at Waypoint. So here's the rundown. The location, 1030 Massachusetts Avenue in Cambridge, Massachusetts. The concept, it's a forward-thinking approach to coastally-inspired fare, combining approachable ideas and ingredients with elements that are unexpected, and their hashtag is SwimGood. And the chef and owner is Michael Skelfo of Alden and Harlow and Longfellow Bar, which are also in Cambridge. So why did I go? Well, so this past weekend, I took the Amtrak over to Cambridge in Boston because I was due for a trip and my nephew Julian is a sophomore at Harvard and I wanted to visit so I had an excuse <laughs> so um and I had met Michael I look back it was 2017 we were at the CIA's Worlds of Flavor conference in Napa where I moderated a p- panel that he was on and so I knew him from that so when I was in the area I definitely wanted to go to one of his spots so I picked to go to Waypoint and my experience was I reached out to him. I told him I was in town. He's like, where do you want to go? Let me know. I'll make a reservation for you. So I went early, actually very early to, to Waypoint. Um, it's just off where Harvard's campus is, which I had been at. And so I walked over there. The staff was lovely. I opted to sit at a table versus the bar because I had this nice banquette in the back where you kind of had a view of the whole restaurant. Um, and Everyone was lovely, took really nice care of me. I had wonderful conversations with the server and the manager. Sorry, I missed seeing Michael, though. So what did I get? So I went pretty light. Um, They have, first of all, you walk in, they have an oyster display. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, definitely oysters. Um, They had five different kinds, and you could just get five versus a half dozen. So I got five, the five they had, they were all East Coast. There was Rocky Neck, Davenport, Acadian Pearl, Sea Hag, and Northern Point. Um, I also got an Aura King Salmon Crudo, and I had wood-grilled um, bluefish Ooh. with a miso, miso yam, burnt scallion, egg yolk, and trout roe. Very Whoa. interesting. okay. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. And it, these were all, these are small plates. And they also sent me out uh, wood-grilled octopus and potato salad so they were small plates and it was it was a pretty it was pretty light meal um but i'm a seafood lover so this Mm. hit the spot um and their menu is pretty big they also have pizza and pastas and roasts it's it's like something for everyone nice so my take fabulous oysters love oysters so fresh i felt like on this trip i was definitely on an oyster oyster mission a a little (laughs) bit i have to have my oysters um the salmon was also super fresh delicious Bluefish is not something I eat that much of, but the the way it came, it was like the egg yolk. You kind of combined it into the mix yourself and mix it up with the miso yam, and it was it was really great. Nice. Um, and the octopus was was lovely too. So the ambiance is a pretty big space. Uh, it's kind of modern esque, I'd say. It's got a large bar. It's dimly lit. Uh, lots of seating options between high tops, low tops, booths, and there's a big open kitchen. So I'd say it's perfect for any size group. Interesting tidbit, the name Waypoint comes from its meaning as a plot on a map. And Chef Michael, um, for him, it signals a natural step along his culinary journey because this was his second restaurant. Personal fun fact. Um, so why did I pick this weekend to go? Well, because 
I always wanted to go to a game at Fenway Park, and I'd never been. It was like bucket list thing for me. So I took my nephew to a ball game on Friday night, and um, the Red Sox beat the Kansas City Royals. So that was cool. Go Sox. <laughs> um, another personal fun fact. So um, tell you where else I ate when I was in Cambridge in Boston. I went to Barbara Lynch's B&G Oysters. Barbara's been on this show, so it was like, I have to check out one of her spots. Um, I had met um, uh, executive pastry chef and owner Mara Kilpatrick many years ago at her bakery, Sofra, big, Sofra Bakery and Cafe, and I wanted to go back, and I took my nephew there, and Mara was there and took awesome care of us. We went for brunch. Very cool, busy place. Delicious. Um, and, and she also is involved with Oleana, which is Anna Sorton's place. And I went there for dinner. Um, also fabulous. And I stopped by Ken Oranger and Jamie Bissonette's Little Donkey. And Jamie was there. Um, so I saw a lot of chefs I knew. It's yeah. like, it's so funny because I think I don't really know Boston or Cambridge that well. And here, here you go. I kind of hopped around and saw saw people, which was fun. Yeah. Um, I, a couple more, stopped at Flower Bakery and Cafe. I did a walkthrough of Major Food Group's New Cantessa, which is on the rooftop of the Newberry Boston Hotel. Very cool spot, just open. My nephew took me to Pinocchio's, or I took him to Pinocchio's <laughs> Pizza and Subs, where they have their, it's like a campus uh, slice joint, and and it's been there forever, and they have pictures of celebrities on the wall, like awesome. uh, Mark Zuckerberg, who's a uh -huh. alum. Um, <laughs> and finally, of course, I had a hot dog at Fenway. So those are my eats. Uh, the cost of my meal was $46. That's not including tax and gratuity. Plus, um, they had comp the octopus and the oysters, which was a very nice comp because anyone who loves oysters knows you want to try to hit oysters in a happy hour. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> they're great, but they're, they're, they're pricey. Um, so thank you. And would I go back? Yes, of course. Their website is waypointharvard.com and on Instagram at waypointharvard. So there you go. Yeah, I think he's a sophomore, so I got a couple couple more years to go visit. I love eating in Boston. It's uh, it's it's just such a, a great food city, and there's just so many unique, cool neighborhoods. Um, I I could see myself just walking and eating around the North End for days, and and never get bored of, of that neighborhood yeah. in particular. Um, yeah, I was I I stayed in Cambridge. Um, which was right. I mean, it's so quick. It's like it's like Brooklyn to Manhattan, kind of just yeah. right across the bridge. But um, I was like, wow, this is. I, I was a little envious. Like, oh, I want to go to school here. Mm -hmm. This is great. Yeah. So, so I'm happy for my my nephew Julian. I he's he's loving it. So it's really cool. Okay, so it's time for the final question. My next guest is. Meg Bickford, she's the executive chef at Commander's Palace, a New Orleans landmark, which has been around since 1893, and they're known for creating great dining memories, very great dining memories. Um, so, and Meg, I recently connected with, she was at the Aspen Food and Wine Classic, and that's where I met her, and um, she became the executive chef in October 2020. She's been, she's been working there since 2008. So, Matt, can you please ask a question for Meg? So I want to preface this by saying I, I know of Meg Bigford. Um, I have a lot of family who lives in New Orleans, um, and I've been visiting there since I was a kid. Um, and have always maintained um, that if I had to pick another city in America to live in, it would be New Orleans. So very, very, very familiar with uh, the food scene there. Um, and I, and I, I know of Meg. Um, I guess I have two questions. One would be, where does she enjoy eating out and or drinking um, in New Orleans? And secondly, I think she's a newish mom. Um, yeah, I think so too. And the fact that I'm got my own marriage happening tomorrow um and that that's you know starting a family is probably on the horizon would we'll love to ask her how she balances being a parent with being the executive chef at the most renowned restaurant in new orleans um how she takes care of her work-life balance personally that would be something i'd be very interested to hear Great, great questions. I will find out. My sister, who's my nephew's mom, mm. went to Tulane. Oh, nice. So I have memories and experiences 
visiting and I'm with you. Like I, I New Orleans to me is one of my favorite cities in the U.S. It's like so it's great. so it's awesome. It's just uh, like I've I've never <laughs> the the last time I was in New Orleans uh, was for a cousin's wedding, and uh, you know we were we were just sort of drinking and eating our way through the Marigny and having an amazing time, and uh, we had to get back to our hotel, which was um, an airport right by, or sorry, a hotel right by the airport in Kenner. And as we were nearing the the hotel, I realized I was starving um, still. So I crossed this highway and went into a gas station. This is a true story. Um, and I'd never heard of this establishment um, or this group before. Went to this gas station just looking to grab a bag of chips and a soda. And there was an entire fried chicken restaurant in this gas station and i was three sheets of the wind and a bucket of fried chicken with red beans and rice (laughs) sounded amazing so i grabbed some and uh and took it back to the hotel and started eating it and called my cousin and went i am eating the best fried chicken i've ever had in my entire life i don't know if it's because i'm drunk i don't know if it's because it's this good and she went where'd you get it i went i went into this gas station across the street from the hotel and she went oh you had brothers and this is a thing brothers fried chicken in new orleans and i can tell you without hesitation it comes from a gas station at this one particular location do not be afraid it's the best fried chicken i've ever had um everything about that that city the food the culture the drinks um just the architecture and just walking through those neighborhoods it's just a really really uh beautiful piece of space um well, God, I'm with you, and I'm. I now, yeah, I need to book my flight, and, yeah. and I haven't been there. Have not. I've. I mean, I've had. I've had some fried chicken down there, but not a brother. It's so good. All right, all right. You heard it here. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited to have her on. She's, she's. I, I got. I was so. It was so fortunate. I had dinner with her and Lolly Brennan in, in Aspen, and got to know them, and. And she's she's a proprietor um, or co co owner. There you go. Um, and they were just they they're just special people. And it's a special restaurant. Oh, hundred so, percent. And your questions are great because yeah, I don't know how you. I, I'm going to find out how you balance it out and where does she go. I, I can't do it now without being married and having a kid. So it's it would be valuable information for me for well, my future. Good. I'm glad my show will serve a purpose more than more than it is hopefully already. Um, but you're doing amazing. Your place is amazing. Congratulations, Thank me you. and you. Thank you. It's a big deal to open your own your own bar and restaurant (laughs) in Manhattan versus working for people, which you've done, you have so much experience, but like it's your own and you should, you should be very proud. It's an awesome spot. Thank you very much. We're, uh, we're, we're very, very happy that, uh, that we were able to, again, to, to be able to do this and, um, hopefully, uh, (laughs) stick around for much longer. Well, I think I, I hope so too. And, um, Sorry that Zach couldn't make it today, but um, Sally, thank you. Oh, wow, she just even looked at me when I said Sally. <laughs> I love you, Sally. <laughs> Everyone probably loves Sally. She's, um, she's very, very popular. Very except popular. she's probably, just one note before we close out, she probably herself would say the name of your place should be Sally Can't wait there there is a, a bit of a, a malapropism there um <laughs> she's like no you missed you missed yeah it, you I, know Sally can wait is basically us going we hope so but it's it's probably not true <laughs> <laughs> she's uh she's actually at the bar uh fairly often so if anyone does want to you know see the cuteness in 3d and in real life uh yeah she's usually there during weeknights it's, so it's a lot of cuteness. Okay. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining me. I know you got to get to work. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate <laughs> it. But um, I will see you soon in Lower East Side. My guest today has been Matt Freelander. He is an industry veteran and the co-owner of Sally Can Wait, which is on Manhattan's Lower East Side. His website is sallycanwait.com and you can follow him at, or you can follow the restaurant at Sally. Can we NYC and you can follow Sally at Sally uh, dot puppy. Is that what we say? Dot period puppy. Um, you can follow me at 
Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer, Matt, today. It's an all-Matt day. And thanks again to Matt from Sally Can Wait. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with a new show. I hope you'll tune in then. And thank you, as always, for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.